I blinked and November flew by, which means that our annual New Reads November event is coming to a close. We are, of course, going out on a high note with a conversation about See You Yesterday by Rachel Lynn Solomon. See You Yesterday is a time loop novel that finds college freshman Barrett Bloom unable to move past her first day on campus at the University of Washington. After enduring a series of social dramas and a few more serious traumas in high school, Barrett showed up to college with high hopes that she would reinvent herself and have a collegiate experience as transformative as her mother's. But if she can't get out of this time loop, that's going to be a challenge. The good news is that Barrett isn't totally alone in her predicament. Before long, she learns that her classmate Miles is experiencing the same loop, and they are able to team up to try to figure out what's happening and how to stop it. Their relationship is a complicated one that starts combative, turns complicated, and ultimately gets a little spicy. But you could probably guess that. On episode 221, my guests and I talk all things time loops, in See You Yesterday specifically, and more generally too. We discuss the pressures that we collectively place on having some perfect college experience, the tension between science and magic, the ethics of time travel, body neutrality, depictions of religion and sexuality, and consent. Because we also chat about a trauma that Barrett experiences around sex, I would encourage you to listen with care. Morgan Baden is a YA author, a former ghostwriter of YA, and possibly the world's biggest fan of the Babysitter's Club. She has a growing collection of teen magazines and shares them on her Teen Mag Museum Instagram account. And she pairs up iconic Real Housewives quotes with teen books from the 70s, 80s, and 90s at Real Housewives of YA. Morgan lives in New Jersey with her husband and two kids one of whom has recently discovered her vintage book collection, and can be found at Morgan Baden on all platforms. Recently, Morgan is the author of Scholastic's Daphne and Velma series, as well as The Hive, which she wrote with her husband, Barry Liga. I loved spending time with Morgan to record this episode. What a way to wrap up New Reads November 2022. Our month of new YA might be coming to a close, but there is, as always, much to look forward to in SSR land. Stay on top of all of our community happenings on social media. We are at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. As I do often, I would like to offer a friendly reminder that SSR is an independent podcast, which means that I am a one-woman show and not backed by a larger organization. The contributions I receive from fans like you play a huge role in keeping the proverbial lights on so that I can continue to create the content you enjoy. If you love what you hear on the SSR podcast, I invite you to learn more about becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can support my work and get some awesome perks in return. Check it out at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. On Thursday, December 22nd, I will be hosting a little end-of-the-year remote Patreon party and all patrons will be invited. Hope to see you there! Episode 221 is brought to you by Kobo. Kobo brings everything you love about reading at your local bookstore or cafe to the modern world. Imagine having your favorite bookstore with you wherever you go or being able to access 6 million titles at all times. Rakuten Kubo is here to make your reading life better. 
Download the free Kobo app or read using one of their e-readers, shop the always open Kobo ebook store, and easily integrate the power of reading into your everyday. Ready to elevate your reading world? Start reading with Kobo. Thank you so much for tuning in to New Reads November 2022. I hope you have had as much fun listening to these episodes as I had putting them together for you. Next week, I will be back with another amazing guest and one of our usual SSR throwback reads. In the meantime, let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hoff-Kosick, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Morgan. Welcome to SSR. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. I'm thrilled to have you celebrating our final week of New Reads November. We are really going out with a bang today, the grand finale. I'm happy to have you here. And we are talking about See You Yesterday by Rachel Lynn Solomon. Now, this does happen occasionally, although I think this is the first time it's happened in this order. There are a couple of guests in SSR's history whose books I have covered on New Reads November and then who have gone on to become guests on the show, but this is the reverse. So Rachel Lynn Solomon was on the show back in 2021, I think, and now we are covering one of her books. So that feels a little funky to me. Are you a fan of hers? I am. You know, The X Talk is the first book I read of hers. And I like fanatically loved it. So now I'm one of those super fans who's like, I'm going to go buy every Rachel book that is out there. Uh, so I was thrilled that we chose this one to discuss because it's so, I, I just, I loved it so much. And there's a lot to talk about too. So much. I think she's an auto buy author for a lot of people. Like as I was reading reviews about this book, which was published in May of 2022, it seems like a lot of people are just like, oh, Rachel Lynn Solomon wrote something new on it, pre-ordered, bought it, done. She is incredibly prolific. Like she just cranks out novels. It's insane. It's both impressive and intimidating as a writer myself, but it, I love it. It's, um, you know, as a fan, I, that's what I want from those autobi authors, right? And and I guess that's almost what makes, that contributes to someone being an autobi author, right? Knowing that there's like a really frequent cadence of new work coming from them. It's very compelling. Yeah, it's like when you stumble on a new TV show or like a new to you TV show, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's like a hundred episodes that I can still watch. It's for me, at least it's so much easier to like get into it when I know that either there's like a backlog of old episodes or I know that a new season is coming or that new seasons come up often. Shout out to Love Island. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about See You Yesterday. This is a time loop novel, which we will get into. It's a college novel, which is a little bit different as opposed to a lot of other YA books. It's the only college novel, I believe, that we are reading for New Reads November this year. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, yes, it's the only book of the year in which the characters are in college. We have main characters, Barrett Bloom and Miles. And Barrett is, I feel like I can only call her by her full name because she has such a great like full name, Barrett Bloom. The book is told from her perspective and she is arriving on campus for her first day of college, which is sort of like an unending 
day for most of the book. So I kind of wanted to get started by asking you, Morgan, what it felt like for you to start college because Barrett has these very high expectations. You know, she has heard about the wonders of University of Washington from her mother and her mom like really found herself in college and reinvented herself. And she did get pregnant with Barrett when she was in college and she still managed to like make it a fantastic experience despite the fact that it wasn't the way she'd planned. So Barrett almost has these like impossible expectations. She's gone through a lot in high school, which again, we'll talk about. And she wants to sort of leave all of that behind and move forward. Can you relate to that at all? Or like, how did you approach that experience? Yeah, gosh, that's such a good question. And I think it's one of the things that made me start to love this book right away really quickly is because I could relate so strongly to Barrett's immediate situation. So I'll start by saying, I think as a society, we put way too much pressure on this idea of like college is going to change your life and college is the best four years of your life and and all that. And, And for some people, that's true and that's great. And for other people, it's not. And I think we need to normalize that as well that it's just college is a, a place you you go if you do go. And certainly you're going to learn more about yourself, but you're going to learn more about yourself no matter where you are. And I would love to, like I said, normalize this idea that college doesn't have to change your life overnight and it's going to be the best experience you've ever had. I loved college, but it took me a little bit of time to love it. And I, I would say probably the biggest reason why is I actually have an identical twin sister and we were very close and we had decided early on in high school that we wouldn't go to the same college. And it turns out I found that transition really difficult for all the twins out there listening. I don't know if you can relate, but when I got to college, I suddenly realized I didn't actually know how to make friends because I had had my sister with me the whole time and she's a little bit more extroverted than I am. And so I guess in a way I had just grown accustomed to her sort of handling our social life in a way, which is really funny to think about. So I definitely struggled with that transition for the first semester of college. And then spoiler alert, I ended up transferring schools to be with my sister and then had a great time. And we didn't even live together that first year, but like I think there was just a comfort in knowing that we were on the same campus. We didn't have the same major, nothing like that, but I don't know. So I really felt for Barrett and this idea that she walked onto campus and was like, all right, universe, hit me with with all the changes you're going to send my way. And that's tough. I love that you shared all of that. I think it's so well said and so true. And I think it will be interesting to see going forward what college looks like for people because with so many people having experienced a chunk of their college life remotely with the pandemic, I do think that that part of it was sort of taken away, which is when I think about the moments that I had in college, and it was not always easy for me. And I think I, like Barrett, was kind of naive to the fact that like, I was going to show up and be this whole new person. And I was going to learn everything in a week. And like, it was going to be magical. But I remember feeling early on in the pandemic that like it was just so heartbreaking to think that that part of the experience was taken away from people. And of course, that's a privileged problem to have. And it's a privileged perspective for me to have to be like, oh, I'm so sorry that you're not going to have that experience. Yeah. And I, I think that there's so much to be said about like how higher education is going to change more broadly in the coming years, because I know a lot of people who have realized like, hey, I don't know that we need to spend this much money on room and board for our kids to learn. Exactly. So I think there's something to be said for that as well. But yeah, I mean, Barrett walks in thinking that like, this is just going to be 
magical is the only word that I can really think of to describe it. She has this almost Gilmore Girls-esque relationship with her mom. Her mom was very young when, when Barrett was born. And so they're friends more than anything. And they have amazing banter about pop culture. And they have all of these rituals, much like Lorelai and Rory, things that they watch, things that they eat. Did you notice the call out to Gilmore Girls a couple yeah. times? At one point, her mom was wearing a Luke's Diner t-shirt. It was very cute. Well, I did find in an interview with We Need Diverse Books that Rachel and Solomon does say that she had always wanted to write a mother-daughter relationship inspired by Gilmore Girls. So I was happy to see that confirmed. Yep. So I think that Barrett feels this pressure, although her mom never like applied it to her as pressure to like live that same experience like she's going to the same college that her mom went to and like kind of wants to to relive history a bit and of course that's exacerbated by the fact that she had such a terrible time in high school and the first day when we meet her she wakes up and what seems at that time to be the worst possible thing happens which is that a girl that she went to high school with named Lucy has last minute been put in her room as her roommate. She was supposed to have this other roommate named Christina. She was all excited to hang out with Christina. She was like, oh, here I am, like making a new start with this girl I've never met before. And on September 21st, the first day of classes, she instead wakes up to hear Lucy out in the hallway talking with their RA page about how annoying it is that she has to be put in this room because she was under the impression that she would have a single. And Lucy comes from this family of sort of like media magnates, like her parents own this big media company in Seattle. And so we get the sense that she comes from a certain amount of privilege and money, which is not Barrett's experience at all. And their relationship unfolds in interesting ways throughout the book. But I thought that it was kind of cool right off the bat that we knew that Lucy and Barrett had once been friends in middle school, I believe, like late middle school. And that kind of crashed and burned in their sophomore year when the first of Barrett's kind of mini traumas of high school occurred when Barrett was working on the school newspaper because journalism is her thing, which I loved as a journalism kid when I was in high school and then college. She uncovered a cheating scandal uh, with the tennis team. And she wrote a story about how all the tennis players who ruled the school were cheating to get good grades. And in doing so, got them all like kicked off the team. It caused them all to lose their scholarships. And at the time, Lucy was dating one of those players. And so their friendship totally busted and Lucy was so mad at Barrett for what she perceived to be causing uh, this problem. Although we know as adult readers now that like, no, like it was the guys that cheated to get good grades that caused this problem and Barrett was just calling it out. And so, yeah, their relationship has already had its share of ups and downs. But even I think the relationship that you have with your roommate is kind of glamorized. Like, I think that's part of it. Like, I don't know about you, Morgan, but I grew up like, seeing movies and TV shows and reading about like college roommates that became your maid of honor at your wedding, like all of these things. And I don't know if that reflects your experience at all, but I felt for Barrett that like not only does she not have a roommate that she wanted to have, but she has to sort of go backwards and deal even more with these people that kind of ruined her life when she was in high school. Yeah, I totally agree. And it was another moment where I not just felt for Barrett, but was like, oh, I feel like I can relate deeply to that. I don't know a single teenage girl who doesn't have one of those friendships that has been up and down like that, where you're super tight and then something happens and you're are maybe enemies or maybe just not close anymore. And then you have to figure out your way back to each other if that's the path for you. So I I really liked that setup. I love a good story about 
teenage friendship because I think that can be mined so deeply in so many ways when it comes to identity and and who we are and how to support each other and, and things like that. So I really liked that setup. And I agree. There's this like myth making around who your college roommate is going to be. And, you know, my first college roommate was actually I had two because we had a forced triple because they had too many freshmen coming in. And I'm not in touch with either of them. Um, we just sort of drifted apart even during college itself like they just we weren't each other's people you know luckily enough I I did find my people in college but I think there is this glamorous idea that you're going to find your person in your very bedroom in your dorm room on the first day and then you're set for for all four or five years so I thought like I said that was a really great setup that Rachel did 100% I started college right at the beginning of like Facebook becoming Facebook in 2008. And so like the first photos on my Facebook are from my prom. So like it was really starting to to pick up steam at that time. And so when I was accepted to college and like decided where I was going to go, like, you know, there was a group for like class of 2012. And so I met some people through that group. And of course, you're able to determine when you're 17, like in five minutes, like, yes, these are going to be my best friends, because I talked to them online for five seconds. And so I ended up in a quad, there were four of us. And I don't talk to any of the three of them anymore. And, and like you, like, you know, I think I was like, oh, these, first of all, is the odds are in my favor, there's, there's three of them. So one of them is going to be my best friend. And it was not a bad situation at all, but we we drifted. Like I remember the first couple of weeks of school, we would go out together and, you know, that was a new experience for me because I was from the suburbs and I went to school in a city and I was not a partier at all in high school. So like they were sort of showing me the ropes of what it looked like to be a college kid. But by junior year, like I didn't really talk to any of them. Yeah. So it is, it's weird like how you start. I just think you do grow so much between like being 17 and 18 and even being 19 or 20 and like being away from home for any period of time your perception of what that relationship is supposed to look like evolves a lot. But I, I would imagine, and I didn't have this experience like Barrett, but like it's so hard to imagine that kind of roommate idea evolving if you end up being stuck with somebody who's from your past. Because like how are you supposed to evolve with that person yeah. who you can't help but feel stuck with? Yeah. It's like when you go home during winter breaks in college yeah. and you revert to your 14-year-old self, even though you feel so much older and like you've changed so much. I feel like Barrett couldn't help but revert to who Lucy thought she was in high school and vice versa too. Because It's just like this subconscious thing when you're stuck with people from your childhood. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about Barrett's character, her personality, because I have like some complicated feelings about it, I think. But I might, I think I could be convinced otherwise. So Barrett is quirky, which I love. Like she owns the fact that she's quirky. There's a little bit of not like other girls happening, but not in a way that I found tropey or annoying or over the top. Like she is not like other girls and she's cool with it, but she's not, she's not talking about it too much. Right. She has this super tight relationship with her mom. And much like Rory Gilmore, she didn't really feel like she needed a lot of other friends, especially after what happened with Lucy. She is very snarky and she has this incredibly smart humor. I think that one of my favorite things about this book, and I remember this from the other Rachel and Solomon books that I've read, is the banter. Yes. Rachel and Solomon writes banter so well. And so um, the way that Barrett banters with everybody is so fun, but especially with Miles, who we'll talk about shortly. What I also really appreciated about Barrett's character is that she represents somebody who is in a bigger body. And so there's a lot of body positivity, but not in a way that feels 
unattainable. Like we have moments where we're inside Barrett's head and we're seeing that she's questioning herself and feeling insecure, but then getting to the point where she feels comfortable, sometimes not on her own, sometimes with the help of other people. And I think that that's a really realistic picture. Like, I just think we're not at a place yet where we can be like, yes, everybody automatically loves their body, no matter what size it is. I hope that we get there and I hope we get to a place of body neutrality. But especially for teenagers growing up in 2022, I just don't know that that's realistic. So I love that Barriott is like, I'm a little uncomfortable in my body. I am sensitive to the fabrics that I'm wearing. And when I take my clothes off in front of a boy that I like, like I'm not sure how to feel about it, but she gets there. Like she works through it and she feels good about her body. So those are all things that I really appreciated. I also at the beginning really liked the fact that she was very self-aware of her awkwardness and how like, oh, here I am. I'm the same person that I've always been. I'm not going to be able to move past this awkward girl that I was in high school. I think I started to struggle a little bit because it kept going. And maybe it was more just because we're stuck in a time loop. And so Barrett is living a lot of the same experiences over and over again. But for me, her insecurity started to feel like a little heavy for me. And maybe that's less Barrett and more just in the way that her story is explored on the page. But I just, for me, there were moments when I was like, come on, Barrett, like, you, you can you can do it. Like st- there was a little bit of maybe woe is me happening, which I hate to say because I think there's also a lot of social anxiety going on and I have moments of that as well. But am I the only one who felt like there were moments when it was like kind of a lot? No, I see what you're saying. And also I think it's really interesting that, that you started with Barrett's body neutrality goals or um, you know the, the fact that she lives in a, a bit of a bigger body. I actually found that in my reading of that, it almost felt like an afterthought, like Rachel had sort of maybe written the book and then decided at the end, I'm going to throw in some references to her body. So it didn't feel quite organic to me. And I haven't been able to parse out why it stuck out to me so much. I love a character that is, I don't want to say struggling with their body image, because that's not a positive thing. But but I relate to a character that does that. And I think it can be done really well. And I think it's important to do that. With Barrett, it felt a little, um, if, like it felt a little tacked on for me. So it's interesting that it, it felt organic and natural to you. And to me, it didn't. And sort of vice versa, because I liked, I understand what you're saying about Barrett's woe is me potential. It didn't, that one didn't stick out to me as much though. And I loved, like you said, her witticisms. Uh, I think there were some lines that were almost zingers, like almost laugh out loud funny, which Rachel and Solomon did with the X talk as well. I remember laughing out loud at certain parts of that. So I was so happy to see that in this book as well. And overall, Barrett, I, I do agree that there could have been, I think in a lesser talented writer, Barrett's personality could have been it could have veered into like pick me girl territory. Mm. It didn't. And so I think kudos to Rachel for that. And, and overall, like I, I just found Barrett very warm and very easy to, to like, you know, minus some of those little quibbles I mentioned. Yeah. And I, I think maybe this leads us into a conversation about this whole like time loop concept, because I wonder if some of my struggles with things like I just mentioned with Barrett are more to do with the time loop structure than anything else. Sure. Because listeners, for those of you who are not familiar with time loop narratives or you haven't watched a time loop movie or a TV show or read other time loop books, a time loop is basically exactly what it sounds like. It's not time travel in the sense of like going back in time or going forward into the future. 
But it's this idea of being stuck in a cycle of waking up and living the same day or series of days again and again and again. It's very Groundhog's Day. Um, we read a book for New Reads November, I think two years ago now, called The Opposite of Always. That was also a time loop novel. And in this book in particular, we have we have Barrett and ultimately Miles, uh, who we discover is also stuck in the same time loop, living September 21st over and over and over again, which is, of course, a fun reference to the Earth, Wind & Fire song, September, love that. And I, I didn't know that this book was about a time loop. It was recommended by a couple of listeners. And I typically like don't try to do a lot of like synopsis reading before I get into a book for the podcast because I want to experience it fresh. I, and this has nothing to do with Rachel Lynn Solomon or anybody else, I think I'm just maybe not like a time loop gal. And so maybe some of my frustration with the characters was more to do with the fact that they are just as frustrated to be in a time loop as I am to have to read about them being stuck in a time <laughs> loop. And I have to credit Rachel Lynn Solomon for building the structure of the time loop in such a way that I think it worked better for me than other time loop narratives that I've consumed, if that makes sense. That makes so much sense. And I completely agree with you. I am not a fan of time travel. I find the concept to this, at this point, it's almost cliche and overdone. So if there's a really great time travel book or movie out there, like it has to be very different from all the, the tropes around time travel, right? Time loops obviously are a little bit different. I find them a little bit more palatable. I will say I had a, a bit of hesitation going into this once I figured out it was a time loop book. But again, I think in a lesser skilled writer, there would have been a lot of potholes and plot holes. But I think she did enough building in of unique parts of this particular time loop that it felt fresh to me. And I don't know if we can talk about this without getting into spoiler territory, but the idea that Miles and Barrett were at different points of the time loop, I thought was very fresh and interesting to think about. And the fact that the longer they were in their time loop, they started to get sort of physical symptoms and brain fog and they were forgetting things and things were blending together. That also felt fresh to me. And maybe maybe it's not fresh and maybe I just don't read enough time loop books, but it felt like, oh, there's something cool for me to hang on to here because this feels different from other time loops that I've read. So so I'm totally with you, Allie. But, it, but again, I think there was enough uniqueness in this one that it, it kept me sticking around. So first of all, I think we have another sort of opposite thing wherein I actually like time travel. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> More. I don't love like, I don't love when it veers too far into like sci-fi territory, mm -hmm. but I love like a more face value time travel concept and time loops for me can be a little fatiguing. Oh, funny. And I think this one, if there was anything that I would say, like not that Rachel and Solomon needs my constructive criticism, but I think that this book more than other time loop books that I've read, like we really get into every single day and I felt like maybe a couple of the days could have been edited but that's just me I, I agree with you there it was a little long for me yeah. I struggled I would say in the middle of this book and I know because I read a couple of reviews that I'm not the only one so Rachel if you're listening I hope you'll forgive me and mm -hmm. you are a beautiful writer and I would read all of your words uh it just maybe this one was a little long but keep sending send me things please yes I agree with you Morgan as well that there were a couple of interesting little details and I don't read a lot of time loop novels now people know why so I I don't know for sure if they're fresh either but 
as we learn more about Miles' situation, it got me thinking about like, hmm, I guess there's different ways to do this. So Barrett meets Miles on her first day of college, the first September 21st, and they meet in a physics 101 class, which Barrett is only attending, of course, because it's a requirement. And I, I related so deeply to that because I was a journalism major and I was like, how dare you? How dare you make me take a science class? But the way that the professor who happens to be Miles' mom taught physics made me kind of wish that I'd taken a physics class in college. I think I took something random because I thought it would be easy and it ended up being really hard. And I should have just taken physics because it sounds really cool with the right kind of professor. She meets Miles and he's surly and grouchy and he's super into physics. Like as into journalism as Barrett is, Miles is that into physics. And they do not get off to a good start. Like they both have bad first impressions of each other. But once Barrett figures out that she's in a time loop and then figures out that Miles is the only other one that's stuck in a time loop, Miles tells her that he has met her way more times than she remembers meeting him. Like he's been stuck in September 21st for a much longer period of time. And something that I think is such a credit to Rachel is that in these kinds of situations on the page, I often find myself like needing to understand it. And if I don't get the science or the reasoning behind it, it drives me wild and I like can't move forward. And I didn't really care about that part in this book. Like there are moments where Miles is trying to like theorize the scientific part of it and like, why are they stuck in this time loop? And he goes into a couple of like physics lectures about relativity and that sort of thing. And I didn't really understand what he was talking about. And I didn't feel like I needed to clarify. I could just move on. I could move right on forward. And so I think that that says a lot, again, about how this author is able to bring in so many different aspects of these characters' experiences because Miles is talking about it with respect to science, but Barrett also has a lot of theories about how it might actually have to do with like the way they're living their lives. It might be a little bit more magical and less scientific. So to your point, Morgan, I think that there were a couple of little sort of twists in the way that the time loop is presented to us that made it a little bit more intriguing. Yeah, I love that. I think the tension between Miles's pro-science approach to figuring this out and Barrett's sort of pro-magic approach to figuring it out, I thought that was really cute. I actually think that could have been played up even more, but that's just because I like that tension sort of between science and magic. And it's funny, you said the way I feel about time travel is the science behind it like breaks my brain and I don't want right. to read a book and have to do math while I'm reading it. And so maybe yes. that's one of the reasons that I don't love it. Um, and so it, again, it's funny to hear you say a similar thing about, about the time loops and the physics behind it. But um, yeah, I really liked how that was played up between the two of them. And, you know, we can talk about miles for a second too. Like, yeah, let's do it. Um, almost like the stereotypical grumpy science guy, like I, with a, who's a little bit nerdy, like again, I think Rachel did a good job playing with that trope. Um, I liked Miles right away. And I liked how I thought that it was almost a twist when Miles confessed to Barrett that he's known her much longer than than she's known him. Um, and there were some really good moments in there that I won't get into for for spoiler reasons, but it really sort of I think I think it brought a new dimension to Miles as a character, suddenly thinking like, oh right, he's been through this time loop what, six times longer than she has at this point? And what that what must that be like? And it, it to me, it sort of layered his character in really rich ways. Um, so he didn't feel like this stock love interest character. I was into Miles as well. I liked him as a love interest. 
And I, I will bring this up because we talked about Barrett's body insecurities, but when I was reading some reviews online, and this hadn't occurred to me as I was reading, to be honest with you, but some of these reviewers pointed out the fact that, you know, Barrett is insecure about her body and Miles is insecure about his ears, which uh-huh. I like did not pick up on in any sort of like consistent way. But these reviewers were like praising this book for like showing different kinds of body insecurities and specifically like showing a body insecurity for somebody who was like not assigned female at birth because of course that's something that we are used to. But to see this like college dude be so focused on his ears and and Barrett finds them cute. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out because I think it it speaks to this larger conversation that we are seeing pop up more in contemporary pop culture for teens about the way we process our physical bodies. Yeah, love that. I thought it was a really nice reminder, especially for what is primarily likely a female um, reading audience for these books, that we talk a lot about girls and self-image, but we don't talk a lot about boys and self-image and how it plays out, particularly for teenage boys. So I thought it was a really important yet subtle and not in your face reminder of that situation. Yes. Something else I thought was interesting about Miles was when he confides to Barrett about his first impression of her and the fact that he was intimidated by her initially. And we don't know exactly like how many days it's been since he met Barrett. We only know how many days it's been since Barrett is aware that she's met Miles. Like it's, this is where it gets a little confusing and murky for me. It might break my brain. He, toward the end of the book, explains to her that like he knows that he was kind of an asshole to her. And what I will say for Miles, he is a very good apologizer. He apologizes so many times in this book in a way that feels genuine and authentic. And like he he addresses what he did wrong. He isn't sort of like he's not buffering it by being like, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. He just says that he's sorry and acknowledges that maybe he was an asshole. Like I think he refers to himself as an asshole multiple times, but he in explaining to Barrett that he knows he came off as an asshole early on says like, and I was intimidated by you because that first time I met you, you walked into physics with all of this confidence and like you were just unlike anybody that I ever met before. And I think it's so great in YA when authors play with this idea of perception because that's something that teens more than anybody I think deal with this sense of like popularity and like what makes somebody cool or approachable. And this is a great example of that. Totally, totally agree. So let's talk a little bit about, and I know you, you're being respectful of spoilers and I appreciate that. I think there are a couple of things that you can kind of dance around. Listeners, we will try very hard not to spoil any of the big stuff at the end or like the mechanics of how those big things happen. But there are a couple of like little moments along the way that we're going to spoil. Still think you should read the book if you want to read it. There's a lot to it. So one of the moments that really causes tension between Barrett and Miles is a realization that Barrett and Miles have kissed in a timeline that Barrett cannot recall or this version of Barrett cannot recall but Miles can recall it. Like he knows that they've kissed, but Barrett doesn't. And she gets really pissed because she's like, this is information that you've been withholding from me. And I don't know what to do with that information. And it's just as she's kind of starting to trust him. And as we mentioned before, Barrett has been through quite a bit of trauma um, in high school. A lot of it related to sex and intimacy with a boy that she was interested in who she went to the prom with. 
And so she feels very betrayed by a boy that she was finally learning to trust. And then she finds out that he's been keeping what she perceives to be this huge secret from her. What did you think about that, Morgan? What did you think about her reaction? Yeah, I will say, you know how some readers read a book and are sort of actively trying to think of what's going to happen next? Yeah. My husband is like that. Like he's actively trying to solve the mystery or or whatever. I'm not like that. I am just Okay, good. I'm just enjoying the present chapter as it comes. That felt like such a great twist to me. I was not expecting it. And even you just describing it and recapping it there, I actually got chills again because it. I thought it was so well done and really raised so many great character questions, right? That that Rachel could have mined even more, which is like the ethics of, of time looping like this, right? Like if you're stuck in a time loop, what do you owe the people that you're talking with in, in your day of time loop, right? So I thought that was really well done. I think it was, you know, if I were Barrett, I too would have felt betrayed almost, um, especially as you said, their relationship was, they, they were building more trust together. They were getting to know each other. It almost felt like they were, like Barrett felt like they were in this safe space together and they were facing this issue as a, as a team, right? And so to find out that, oh yeah, like, he has a whole other, he has multiple other lives with me that I'm never going to know. I mean, what a, like, it's like a, a mind meld, right? Like picture the emoji of the brain exploding. That's what it felt like to me when, when um, Barrett discovered that. Yeah. I don't know if I would be as upset as she was. Like she was ready to never speak to him again. I think that if they weren't the only two people stuck in this time loop, she would have, she would have completely written him off. Yeah, probably. And also, again, as you mentioned, she's coming from very recent trauma regarding sex. And so I think if she hadn't had that background, maybe it wouldn't have been a big deal. Um, but but knowing who she was and where she was coming from, it, it felt like a really big thing for her. Yeah, for a little bit of context, listeners, um, Barrett was asked to the prom by a boy that she did not expect to be asked to the prom by. And she was like, sure, fine, whatever. Like they didn't have any real relationship before. And Barrett has this approach to sex that's very like, I don't want to say transactional, but I think she sort of feels the way a lot of high schoolers feel, honestly, which is like, I kind of want to get this taken care of before I go to college. And as I've developed my own understanding of the way that sex and intimacy are portrayed in media, my thoughts about this have changed Because I think, you know, I did have that feeling a little bit when I was in high school. And I think when I was a few years out from that, I had more judgment toward myself about that because I was like, oh, she's so naive. Like, why would I think that girl, like, who was that girl who thought that this was just something to check off the list? And with time, I've realized that, like, at least in my view, with safety, with consent, with comfort in whatever version of the relationship you have, I get it. You know, like so much change happens when you are graduating college and leaving the nest in any way. And it is sort of nice to like not feel like you have this huge pressure on yourself. Of course, separate from any like religious or fundamental belief that you have about waiting to engage in sex until a certain milestone of your life. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I land on it after all of these years. Um, So I get it. Like I get why Barrett felt that way. And she's like, okay, great. It's prom night. Like, I feel fine about this. And her date, Cole, got a a hotel room. And she seems like pretty much on board to have sex with him. 
And it was like fine, not great, which I think is true of a lot of first time experiences. And I love the frankness with which Rachel and Solomon approaches that. But what happened next was the true trauma, which is that Cole blows the whole thing up to the whole school. Um, And we find out that Cole's older brother was one of the boys whose scholarship was was canceled because of Barrett's investigative reporting at school. Um, And so in order to get revenge on Barrett, he like starts this whole hashtag, which is um, debloomed because her last name is Bloom. And they start putting roses all over school. Like he tells everybody that he had sex with her. And because she is not like conventionally hot by the standards of this school, it becomes this whole joke. And that is traumatic. And I, I would imagine having not been through this, like despite the fact that he had consent and they consented to this experience with each other, like you sort of lose the feeling that you did consent when it becomes a much bigger thing. And so while I don't know that I would be as mad at Miles as Barrett was, I feel like it speaks to this larger question of consent. And I notice in all of Rachel and Solomon's books, like she's always very clear about consent in in love scenes. Yeah. Um, and even in like more innocent scenes, like there's always consent, like, can I hold your hand? Like, is it okay if I touch you? And I wonder how much of the plotting of that moment was about the author considering like, what does consent mean? A, for somebody who's been traumatized and B, in a situation where like we can't recall each other's timelines and like our history together is so confusing. So I think there's just like a lot of layers there. Yeah. I think that was so well said, Ali. And, you know, just to hammer it home for, for listeners, there's Rachel doesn't go into like brutal detail or anything like that. Um, because like you said, the, the sexual act with Cole was consensual, but man, the heartbreak that follows, it was, easy to read, but hard to stomach, if you know what I mean. Like, so um, once again, I think just really well done. And and this idea, like you said, consent as a theme in the book, but on multiple levels and in multiple ways, which is really interesting to explore. Yeah. And it's, I think for me, it like was like, oh, consent is more than just about like, whether or not the actual act is consensual, like the whole sort of context should be consensual in order for it to be a positive experience for everybody. And I guess if we're going to look at the time loop situation, like that circumstance complicates consent in its own way. So that was one of the sort of hiccups that Barrett and Miles find themselves navigating. We won't get into all the details, but the good news is that they get over it and they do end up having a lovely little love story. It's a slow burn. So in the process of figuring out why they're stuck in a time loop and how to get out of the time loop, they, of course, finally realize like, hey, it's kind of cool that we're stuck in a time loop. Like there are a couple of days where they're really frustrated and they're trying to figure out how to get out of it. Miles is, of course, coming to it with the science mindset and Barrett has this journalism mindset. So she's good at research and they're getting frustrated because no matter what they seem to do, the same stuff keeps happening and they keep waking up on September 21st and there's nothing that can be done about it. So they realize like, let's have a fuck it list is what they call it because she's like a bucket list is too morbid. Nobody's dying, but fuck it. We're stuck in a time loop. So what do you want to do? And so they start having all of these adventures. They like blow all this money on a first class trip and they, they turn the indoor swimming pool on campus into a ball pit, like all of these things. So Morgan, if you had a day that you knew you were stuck in a time loop, like what kind of stuff would you do? 
I think they had it right when they got on that first class plane and and flew around the world. I think is is Disney World the first place they went to? I can't remember. Yes. But but I was like, oh yeah, I would go somewhere amazing and just spend the day blowing money, having fun. Um, they did. I thought it was very funny that they like adopted what fifteen dogs one day. Yep, I would do that. I was like, yes. <laughs> Which was so cute, but also I'm like, I don't want to take care of 15 dogs for the whole day. So, um, but it was very cute. I loved the ball pit. Um, yeah, I'd go to the best restaurants. I'd I'd go to all the theme parks. I'd find the the most crystalline blue waters and and spend the day in them. Um, such fun. Yeah, I would somehow figure out how to play with with time change so that I would go. I guess I would go Ooh, west. That's smart. So that I could get some time back because. Yeah. If you're, if we're going to get into the particulars here, we can't travel anywhere that's going to take too long because then the whole day is shot, but you also want to go someplace cool. You don't want to lose too much time. So I feel like going West would be really the way to do it. But yeah, I'm like, I'm like, put me on a plane in first class. Never done that before. I want to shop. I want to eat great food, lots of ice cream. I would like to be covered in golden retriever puppies in some way. So yeah, I, I thought that was really fun. And like, I wonder, I wonder if this movie, if this book will be adapted into a movie because you can kind of like see that as a fun montage. Yes, absolutely. The fun and games montage. Yep. Let's chat a little bit about Lucy and uh, some of the little shifts that happen in in Barrett's relationship with Lucy because What's so hard for Barrett is that like there are a couple of versions of September 21st on which big things happen. Like there are these monumental moments that she has with certain people or she has realizations. But of course, when she wakes up on the next version of September 21st, those other people can't remember what happened. So there is a day that she is able to come to an understanding with Lucy. And it's so annoying because then it's gone and she kind of has to start over from scratch. But there is one day where she learns about something that Lucy is dealing with at home, which is a father who is extremely strict about what she is supposed to study. And Barrett kind of had this idea that Lucy loved journalism as much as she does. And, you know, Lucy was the editor-in-chief of their high school paper. And yes, that clearly is related at least a little bit to the fact that she comes from this rich media company. But Barrett just assumes that she's doing what she wants to do because Barrett comes from a home where that's encouraged. But through a series of events on one of these time loop days, Barrett finds out that no, Lucy would actually really like to be studying dance and her dad won't pay for her to go to college or really support her at all unless she majors in journalism and writes for the school paper and all that stuff. And he won't even let her like be on the university dance troupe for fun. I liked this depth to the character and I thought it represented an interesting like shift in Barrett's thinking about Lucy because of course like while Lucy has so many other privileges, something that she doesn't have is Barrett's mom, who just embraces everything that Barrett wants wants to do. But I, it felt like a little bit of like poor little rich girl energy for me. I wish that there was something different. You took the words out of my mouth. I was waiting for you to pause, but I could be like, it felt a little poor little rich girl for my tastes. It's like, she just wants to dance. Like, come right. on. <laughs> it, it was real like Sarah Jessica Parker girls just want to have fun vibes. Um, no, but... And I think this was, of all the characters in the book, I actually think Lucy was my least favorite and I think the least developed character. I wanted more 
I wanted more honesty and authenticity in their ultimate relationship anyway. But I, I think the conceit of like, oh, she just wants to dance, but her her mean rich dad won't let her. It, it felt a little like seriously, you know, um, if she wanted it that badly, she could make it work. She could fund college herself or take a gap year and figure it out and get a job, you know, um, not to not to throw solutions at her. But it, it did fe feel a little a little weak, in my opinion. Well, and I definitely didn't buy that Barrett would buy into it. Like Barrett is way too snarky to like actually think that this is a serious problem. Totally. Yes. So broadly speaking, before we start to wind down our conversation about See You Yesterday, I want to make sure we touch on the representation that we see in this book because there's so much good rep as we see in all of Rachel Lynn Solomon's books. And I can say this now because we are at the end of New Reads November, as we see across the spectrum of books that we've covered this November. Yay, love to see it. So Rachel Lynn Solomon has talked at length about her passion for representing Jewish characters um, on the page. And we see that both with Barrett and Miles, whose dad is Jewish. There's this really sweet moment where Miles recreates a Sabbath dinner for Barrett on a Wednesday night because he knows how important it is to her. She had wanted to get involved with Hillel on campus. And he's like, I know you're not going to get to Friday night, but like, let's just have one in the dorm. And he like cut out fake flames. It was very sweet. So cute. And I read an interview with Rachel and Solomon where she, and I'll, I'll post this in the show notes listeners, where she was talking about how it was so important for her to show that there are like different ways to be Jewish and like different yeah. ways to embrace your Judaism. And so we have Barrett who seems to be very observant and very interested in like leaning into her Judaism. And we have Miles who seems to be more like, you know, I would call myself culturally Jewish. And that's kind of how Miles talks about his relationship with Judaism as well, because his mom is Japanese. And so they also kind of have this interesting like blend of cultures in his house. So we have the Jewish representation. We have some biracial rep because again, Miles is Japanese and also Jewish. We have a little bit of queer rep in both Lucy, who we find out is kind of questioning whether or not she's even interested in boys, yeah. and Barrett's mom, who we haven't talked much about, who is on the verge of getting engaged to her longtime girlfriend, Jocelyn. And then there's some economic representation in that, you know, Barrett comes from a family that isn't super wealthy. And then we have all the way up to Lucy, who does like, I just think that there's a lot of richness to like the fabric of all of these different characters that we're meeting. Totally agree. I That Shabbat dinner was truly, I think, a standout scene in the book. It was just so sweet. And the just generally speaking, too, like the representation was just so natural. And and that's what I love about representation in books today. It's not, it doesn't feel like an afterthought. It doesn't feel like someone tried to cram it in at the end because an editor said so. Like, it was just very natural. This is what our lives look like. And that's what Barrett's life looks like. And um, I, I just loved it. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, what you just said got me thinking about the fact that like, I think even five or 10 years ago, if this book had been written, an editor might have encouraged the author to say like, to write into the book, well, you know, Barrett's mom used to sleep with men and that's right. why she got pregnant in college. And right. then she, like, there would have been this whole backstory about how like, you know, she's, she's, yeah. she's, 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 she's like off men now and this is why. And like, you know, she became, like, which is just not accurate. Like that's yeah. not accurate yeah. to the way that people experience sexuality or live their lives. And I think that there wasn't even any mention of like the phrase bisexual or the word bisexual, right. but like yeah. afterward I was like, oh, Barrett's mom is bi, cool. And again, like, I think the difference that a couple of years can make 
in our ability to just take in this information and move on. It's great. I love to see it. Yeah. Did you even notice with Lucy, I even got the sense that maybe she's ace because she said she's not even sure if she's interested in boys, but then didn't say, but I do like girls, you know? So I was like, oh, there's even ace representation here possibly. So it just felt, again, very, um, very smooth and low key. Yeah. Smooth, low key. Loved it. So on the whole, Morgan, how did See You Yesterday compare to the books that you read when you were a teenager? And what do you think that says about the direction that publishing is moving as a whole? I really enjoyed this book in a lot of ways um, and in a lot of places, despite my hesitation about time loop and time travel and the general time universe of books. Um, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I'm about 10 years older than you, Allie. And so um, YA was not really a thing other than like the freshman dorm books or, uh, you know, some sort of random um, like Linda Cooney books that that were out there that I that I love, but they weren't YA in the way that we know of YA today. And so when I think of what I read back in high school versus what kids have access to today. I'm so jealous of kids today. And I'm just glad that uh, there's such a thriving adult YA community too, not just as a writer, but as a reader, like this is what I want to read. Um, and it, it's such a delight, like we already mentioned, to to read books that really accurately reflect the worlds that we live in. Beautifully said. And speaking of things that you like to read, Morgan, what have you been reading lately and liked that you want to share with our audience? Yes. So we are recording this in early November. So Halloween has just ended and I'm one of those like seasonal readers. So starting in early September, I've been exclusively reading witch books and ghost books and and whatnot. So I have to give a shout out to The X-Hex by Aaron Sterling, which is a really sort of almost lighthearted witch books. You know, there's like dark and creepy witch books or, um, light and funny and romantic witch books. And this one's uh, veers towards the latter. Um, so that was really fun. And then to really get my like horror movie vibe going, um, I really liked Final Girls by Riley Sager. And also like, this is the time of year that I reread Grady Hendrix, who I think is such a, a master of like weird horror. Um, so I highly recommend Well, and I will recommend this one to you, Morgan, because I don't know if you've read it. Have you read Rachel Lynn Solomon's We Can't Keep Meeting Like This? No, I haven't read that one yet. It's so good. It's, uh, I don't know if it's her last YA book. Maybe it's two YA books ago. It was like one of my favorite books that I read last year. It's so good. I'm obsessed with it. I told everybody that I know to read it. So my recommendation to you and listeners, if you have not read this yet, um, We Can't Keep Meeting Like This by Rachel Lynn Solomon. Very fun. Very good. Jotting it down. All the Rachel and Solomon things. (laughs) So I am seeing behind you, Morgan, you have a lot of your books stacked so nicely in like height order, which I love. The Virgo in me is thrilled about that. But I want to toss it to you to share a little bit about your work, uh, what books you have out in the world and maybe what's coming up. Sure. Yeah. So I actually started my writing career as a ghostwriter for some bestselling YA series. So that was like a crash course in in how to write a book on a deadline, which was super helpful. I call it my like five week MFA program. That's what ghostwriting was for me. Um, And then my debut actually came out in fall of 2019. It's called The Hive. I co-wrote it with my husband, who is Barry Liga. He's got like 27 books out. It was really interesting having my first 
published book under my own name be co-written with my husband. And, uh, you know, I could, I took, I could talk for hours about what it's like to write a book with your husband. It's very fun. And then after the hive came out, I started writing the Daphne and Velma trilogy for Scholastic. So this is a YA reboot of Scooby-Doo starring Daphne and Velma with sort of their friendship front and center, which was so fun to do. And I talked at the beginning of our conversation about how I love to to really get into like teenage girl friendships because I think there's so much there um, and so many so much to unpack. And so I was able to do that with that trilogy. So that was really fun. The last book in the trilogy just came out in September of this year. It's called Buried Secrets. And then I had a short story in an anthology, a YA fiction anthology in the spring called Generation Wonder. Um, and that was my real first experience like writing a short story which is a whole different ball game so very cool um very challenging in a in a different way uh and really a lot of fun to be a part of so i would encourage people to check out that anthology because there's some really amazing writers in there elizabeth Yulberg, uh lamar giles like just a really great list of of ya authors and otherwise, I have to say this is so funny because when I started reading See You Yesterday, I laughed to myself because I'm in the middle of a new manuscript, YA, and my main character's last name is also Bloom. So it was very funny to read Barrett Bloom, and I felt a, a kinship with Rachel Lynn Sullivan. Well, I love that. Maybe there's something about like you know the parallel universes or something that I was supposed to learn that Maybe, you yeah. and Rachel and Solomon writing somebody with the same last name. There's something there, but my <laughs> brain is going to break if I think about it much, much more. So excited for you and all of the amazing work that you have out in the world. I will make sure that I link to all of it in the show notes for this episode. Thank you for joining me for this grand finale of New Reads November, another great year of new YA in middle grade. And I'm glad we got to wrap it up together. Thank you so much fun. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>